You are tuned into 91.3 WVKR Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. It's time for Local Motion. It's the 5 o'clock hour here where Local Motion airs live each and every Wednesday from 4 to 6 p.m. Please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already, Local Motion, as well as subscribing wherever you might do your streaming from. It's all there. Lots of great interviews to upload. And now we're going to get today's guest on the line and... Say hi to Byron. Hello. Hello, you're there. I always love when I'm I, here. I start off and I don't disconnect people. It's a good sign, Byron. It's a good sign. It's true. Connection is so important. <laughs> it really is. And not the funny thing is, it really um, has happened a couple of times to where I've dropped people, but that's not the case here today. So thank you for being here. I would like to do a brief... Here. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, Byron, please, anytime. I'd like to do a brief introduction, if I may, and start off by saying... Bassist singer-songwriter Byron Isaacs was one of the founders of the band Ola Bell, played with Levon Helms' Midnight Ramble Band, including both of Levon's Grammy-winning albums. Byron has performed and recorded with many musicians, including Joan Baez, Bruce Springsteen, Roseanne Cash, Mary Fall, Ryan Adams, Jackson Brown, The Wait Band, Larry Campbell, Teresa Williams, just to name a few. He is part of his band Lost Leaders with Peter Cole, and he records and tours with The Lumineers. Welcome back to Local Motion, Byron Isaacs. Thank you. You're welcome. You know, it was such a thrill to see you this past weekend um, perform. I've seen you a couple of times over the past month. Um, we saw you at Lo- with Lost Leaders, of course, at uh, the Falcon. And then again, this past weekend, home is what we call it, right? Levon Helm Studios. And um, Yeah, it really is home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I think you played last night with Larry and Teresa also, correct? Yeah, we played down in the city at, uh, at the New City Winery location. Mm-hmm. Which is quite nice, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, it's right on the river there, right? Right on the what is that? Yeah, right on the Hudson. It, yeah, yeah, it sure is. Right at uh, like Fifteenth Street and the water. Yeah, right by Little at Island. Very end of Fifteenth. Yeah, right next to Little Island. Yeah, which looks really cool. I, I I have some friends who've actually played events on on that Little Island. I, I haven't been on there yet, mm-hmm. but. It, it looks really cool. I it is. Can't wait to get over there. Pretty cool. The, have you been? Have I you have. I have. I haven't been there for music. I just checked it out because I was at the Whitney and I saw it, and I'm like, oh my gosh, let's go across the street, and um, you know that whole little area, area of course, and and Gramercy and all of that. It's just such a cool spot, and um, the theater at Little Island looked really nicely done as far as the sound booth being enclosed, like really professionally done. I I think it can fit a couple hundred people there so it'd be interesting to see what comes there so yeah 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 and then last night of course you playing with larry and Teresa and brian mitchell i saw pictures he joined you guys it it was almost like the whole midnight ramble band it was fun it definitely had had some of that midnight ramble flavor yeah 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 yeah, it was it was fantastic and yeah brian just got up with his accordion um and you know it was killer like god you know I love his piano playing and his organ playing, but, you know, he's also uh, just a tremendous accordion player, really with his own sound. I've never known another accordion player to have uh, that approach to the instrument. He's, mm-hmm. he's really, you know, um, 
carved out his own his own little personal niche yeah. on the accordion. I, I think he could play any kind of music on the accordion. Yeah, truly. It, it's so cool when he breaks that out. I just, you know, it's like, oh man, look at that, you know, because you don't see that instrument all the time. And when you, you don't, you know, as, as as Larry Campbell actually said on my class night, he's like, yeah, Brian is uh, shut 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 me up with all my accordion jokes. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. Like you know, once once Brian is done, you know, playing the accordion, it's like you're like, well, what is so funny about the accordion? Nothing really. Really, nothing. No, not especially yeah. when Brian Mitchell is playing it. That's for sure. That's right. That's for sure. Yeah. Let, let's step back in time a little bit. It's been a while since you've been on the show, and I I love your history. You've got a great story. You know, we all have stories, but yours is a, is a pretty special one. You're a Houston native. And um, last week's guest, um, you came up through music, learning all of this, but I know you ended up um, going to Indiana with uh, University, which, of course, they have a great music program there. Last week, my guest was Sean Pelton. And oh, yeah. He yeah. also went to Indiana. I think he might be a few years older than you. Um, so I That's think. That's right. We weren't there at the same time. I was going to say it must be a little yeah. bit different. So, Houston, let's. When did music, when did you start noticing music? At what age? As, as soon as I can remember, really. My, um, my, all my, I have three siblings who are much older than me uh, 13 years. 11 years and 10 years older than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was like the caboose child. <laughs> and uh, it's my earliest memories were uh, in the car in Houston because, you know, you spend most of your life in the car mm-hmm. in Houston, Texas, <laughs> uh, endless amounts of driving. And and them all singing um, harmony, like, uh, you know, and with my mom, like they had four-part harmony going on all kinds of stuff from oh, show wow. tunes to popular tunes of the day to, you know, like all kinds of stuff, like they um, and they'd work out harmonies on anything, and and they would sing rounds, and they would learn really really complicated rounds. And my sister actually was composing and making up songs too, and she she wrote a few like amazing rounds wow. that they would all sing. The Von so Trapp family singers. The, yeah, and so like I really like from a young age, like I came along, and they started like you know they would teach me like all the weird harmony parts that they needed filled in, you know? And so I think that, that really like led to me, I I think of all the things that I do, probably what I do best is like singing harmony and especially singing like weird, uh, like internal parts that Mm -hmm. are just like, you know, hard that, that that's by themselves sound crazy, but they're like, you know, that fit in those niches and make, make a harmony like really sound full. Uh, I think that's actually probably the, the thing that I do the most naturally because uh, of it, all. It came it came <laughs> yeah. to you so early. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So did, I was born did, and bred a harmony singer. That's beautiful. That's a good thing. Um, did you have music in school, like band or orchestra? Well, you know, it's funny. Um, no, late. I, I started uh, choir uh, in seventh grade, but before that. You know, it was just the typical, like, you know, the recorder in, like, music class, you uh-huh. know, and you'd learn, like, like, like on recorder. Um, my mom put me in piano lessons when I was six because I'd been sitting, uh, picking out songs by ear on the family piano and was really enjoying that. Uh, but the teacher that, that she gave, that she found for me was a really strict teacher. Uh, and when I... 
they like would make me play the really really dumb songs at the beginning of the book that I just hated, mm-hmm. and I would go farther into the book and find tunes that were more fun to play. And I'd come in with playing those, and she would say, "No, you have to go back to the beginning." Oh, play, you know, and it was very and and I just it just crushed me, and I was like, "Forget this!" I just stopped playing piano altogether, oh. and so my mom, you know, pulled me out of the lessons, and at that point. And I was I was six years old. I really, I never thought I'd be an instrumentalist. You know, I was so I I kept singing. You know, and then eventually I ended up in choirs, and I sang in choirs. You know, in um, you know in middle school and high school. But then um, my junior year of high school, I got drafted into the um, like I, I I sort of all of a sudden discovered bass. Mm-hmm. Um, did you, what, what? like of, how, like, did you listen to McCartney okay, well, or what, what, actually, my so, bass? So I, I guess it was, uh, it was actually my sophomore year that I discovered bass, um, because I was visiting, so we were living in Indiana at that point, but we kept, we, we'd moved up there just, a, you know, like two years before, so we had just been in Indiana for a couple of years. We moved up there with my mom, who got into a graduate program at Indiana University, um, so she was getting her PhD and, uh, we had left Texas for that. And so, but my sister and her husband, uh, were still down in Austin and we would go down and visit, uh, several times a year. Um, and that's kind of was the family hub then was my sister's place in Austin mm-hmm. at that point. And I found under my sister and her husband's bed, this big, long, dusty case, um, you know, because he nose around when you're a kid. I was 15, you know, and I, I, I opened it up, and inside was this, like, big electric base. It was just, like, the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It was a, you know, um, it, it's actually the base, um, it was my, they ended up giving it to me for my next birthday. Oh, wow. Um, because I was so taken by it. Is that you the know, Telecaster he hadn't, he hadn't base? Been playing it. That's the That's... Telecaster base. Wow. So, I, you know, Immediately found some of um, uh, like who were playing other instruments in jazz band, but we formed a little basement band, um, you know, like doing like who's songs, like covers, and you know, and, and did some original songs too. But we're just like, you know, playing um, playing very odd rock and roll music. What did you um, call yourselves? You know, very badly. We were called Potato Skin Revolution. I love it. Potato Skin Revolution. How? Yeah, yeah. How? It was my first <laughs> band in high school. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and so those guys um, ended up being, being among a couple of other friends who dragged me into, uh, into the jazz band um, at the beginning of junior year. Mm-hmm. And uh, so then I started playing the upright bass and, um, and was given a, uh, my first jazz album, which was a Charles Mingus record, oh. which completely blew my mind wow. and uh, started me down that path for a while. And um, jazz was my life, and I didn't play anything but jazz for a good, I don't know, seven, seven or eight years. That long, wow. Uh, at mm-hmm. that point. Yeah, mm. yeah. I was in, by, by the time I moved out to New York, uh, I moved here to play jazz, and um, that was, you know, my whole focus at the time. 
Um, and when and you so, went again, to Indiana, friend, you went to yeah, like, you went there for jazz study or jazz performance or what did you? Yeah, I, I was I, I was playing jazz. That's right. But I also had classical lessons, which mm-hmm. uh, on the upright bass, which were really good. Like those those one on one lessons with the bass instructor um, were fantastic. Just for getting um, my fundamentals together, you know, I hated it at the time because it was just time away from my studying jazz harmony and you know practicing that stuff. But you know. Over the years, I've realized how essential that was. Mm-hmm. It was really, really good uh, to have gotten that foundation on the instrument. If for nothing else, just for, um, you know, with with instruments like that, you know, uh, like an upright bass, can really you can hurt yourself if you play it wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it, it, you're, you, it takes a lot of strength to play the instrument to begin with. And if you are using uh, those fast twitch muscles um uh which which don't which can't really carry a lot of uh they're not strong muscles those muscles Mm -hmm. and you can really hurt them and you can mess up your tendons you can mess up your ligaments you can you can really throw your you you can you can ruin your whole career if you don't get your fundamentals right on on the upright bass i've heard many musicians have to go through occupational therapy or physical therapy because of that so yeah i've heard that yeah Mm -hmm. and your daughter who's a conservatory you know a a brilliant conservatory yeah we've had her when she started at occupational therapy because she wasn't holding the instrument correctly so that's right and Mm -hmm. just the smallest little adjustment can fix it you know, it's it's so strange, like getting those techniques together, and and it's essential to get them together as soon as possible. You know, when you're learning, you know, so you get off on the right foot, right. and you're not trying to unlearn bad habits. Exactly, you know? exactly. So, you know what I think is great too. Sorry for interrupting, but your mom, and I know you just recently lost her, so I know how much yeah. she meant to you, and how much you loved her, and how much she was loved by your family as the matriarch of this wonderful family that you have. So. My oh, yeah. my love goes out to you for that. Thank you. The story you. so beautiful that you and your mom went to college together. I mean, <laughs> yeah. come on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, for, uh, yeah. For for a few years there, we were you know in school together <laughs> on the same campus. It was uh, it was pretty cool. Yeah, those were good times. Yeah, yeah. And then you picked up and you went to New York City. Yeah. Yeah. I did yeah. after a stint on cruise ships. Yeah, uh, how did you yeah, get that spent a time on cruise ships? Yeah, well, it was a thing that a lot of the college students were doing, um, uh, you know, during the summers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the summer after my freshman year, some of the other guys in the jazz department put together, you know, a band, and and, uh, and we we all went out, um, and you know. My mom and I, at the time, were living on her student loans. There wasn't any other money coming in. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was tight. Yeah. So I was able to send money home while I was working on the cruise ship. And, uh, you know, that that was really necessary at the time. And especially um, right in that time, my mother's coursework was done, and it was time to begin her dissertation. And when your coursework is done, the loans stop. Mm-hmm. Ah. Um, so, but, you know, she still had to work 
full time on getting her dissertation together. Um, so, you know, it wasn't really a great option for her to take a job at that. I mean, she actually did. She, she took a, she, you know, she had a job, um, you know, was she doing dial America or something? Some horrible, um, you know, uh, like telemarketing or something. Telemarketing. Yeah. She, you know, um, but, uh, you know, she was just punching that clock to try to make ends meet. But, you know, like it, it was really financially dire. So I did the summer, but then I ended up staying out, uh, and sending money back. And, um, and, you know, it ended up, I, I ended up not really getting much more than about a year and a half worth of time at Indiana University because uh, every time I would come back and, and re-enroll in school, um, after a few weeks, it became obvious that financially I just needed to go back out on the ship. Yeah. Uh, and so I got kind of stuck in a loop there mm-hmm. for a few years until my mom's dissertation was done and uh, she got her, her doctorate and Wow. And then I went out for one more six month tour and uh, saved the money to move to New York. Aww. And so I ended up uh, not getting my degree. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I did get quite an education on the cruise ship. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing like playing in real life, you know, and the time that you did have yeah. at Indiana was well spent also. So, um, you know, it all yeah. kind of worked out the way it was supposed to. And, um, and your time in New York city that, did you know anybody there when you moved? The only person I knew was the, um, the girl that I marry. Oh, uh, and I'm still married to Jessica. Um, yeah, she had. Uh, you know, I uh, I went to school with her brother mm-hmm. and met her along the way. Uh, she she went to a different college, but um, but her brother Ethan and I were uh, were best buds in in college, and so he um, did he you know, he brought me home. Did he like for pur- purposely uh, um, uh, introduce you to Jessica, or did he like not? Introduce. He was not. He was not uh, in favor of our getting together. Uh, he didn't see anything good coming from his best friend and his, and his sister um, getting together. He, he's like he be in the middle of that thing falling apart. Oh my he, uh, God. he expressed. He he had definite. Uh, definitive uh, opposition. <laughs> to, uh, well, you to that uh, which didn't last. Of course, you know he was the best man. In, but um, you know, for for a while there, he wasn't speaking to me. <laughs> oh my gosh! Really? Wow! Uh, you know, he got over it. <laughs> and almost three decades I to later, prove, I had to prove that my intentions were pure. Yeah, know? yeah. Well, I think uh, you proved your point. It's been almost thirty years, so oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And you two are a lovely, lovely couple. You really are. She's a, she's a top notch lady. So you both are. You both are. Oh. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I, I count myself as very lucky. I thank my lucky stars every day. Yeah, you should, you should, absolutely, and likewise with her. So you both done good. Oh, now, <laughs> thank now, you. Now, moving to New York, I love hearing that, you know, you didn't just go right in and, you know, got to be an A-list player. You actually worked a few odd jobs in New York, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I... um I tried for a minute, uh, I made it a half a day, I tried a telemarketing thing. I don't know how my mom did it. They had me, uh, yeah, I lasted half a day. I, um, I, got, I was so upset by the whole experience because they had me calling 
these rural areas and trying to convince small business owners to get local 1-800 numbers oh that my. they didn't need. Oh. Uh, I was trying to sell people on things that they didn't need, people who just didn't even have the money for it. Um, and I, I just realized just how how corrupt, I don't know, it, it just it was eating away at my core all day. And so I got to, like, lunch break, and I uh, and I just I walked out the door and I never came back. Wow, good for <laughs> but you! But I, I hit I hit the street and I burst into tears. Yeah, <laughs> I was yeah. Like, oh, I can't. So uh, so yeah. Then my next job was at the Strand Bookstore, mm-hmm. which I did for nearly a year, and uh, and that was a hard job, I have to say. Well, you weren't like selling bookstore. books, right? You were in the warehouse. That's right. I was up on the, the, they had the warehouse on the fifth floor. So when the trucks would come up, these giant semi-trucks full of books would roll up and we would, you know, unload all these books, which are heavy, of course, onto these, you know, dollies and then load them onto a floor and then up to the fifth floor. And then, the, so the elevator was going up and down and up and down while we're offloading, you know, in these trucks and, um, and blocking off 13th street. And then, uh, and then, yeah, then we'd have to process the books, and that involved cataloging them, uh, and then um, you know, inputting in them into the inventory, and then um, uh, shrink wrapping them, and then pricing them. Wow! And then some of them would go downstairs to the floor, and then some, of, and then the rest of them would get um, boxed up and put in out into the warehouse, like the last scene of. Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, and like, and and, and there was a, a very um, specific system for numbering and locating the boxes, you know, um, for each book. Wow. Was, you know, it was an arcane process, and you know, I uh, I ended up, you know, toward the end of my time there, they they had me on computers, like doing, you know, um, and also like calling up um, calling up vendors. You know, and uh, and uh, um, and uh, um, and publishers, you know, and like, um, you know, I was helping out the buyer, uh-huh. and so he had me on on buyer calls and stuff, and it was like I, I think I was they were trying to groom me for for greater things, but of course, you know, the whole time I was just trying to figure out how to get to playing the blue note. <laughs> exactly, but now when you were when you were at Strand, were you playing nights out? Were you playing music during that time? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as I could, you know, I was playing really, um, you know, the kind of gigs that you play when you first get to town, like um, little bars that would, like, you know, you'd play in the corner, they'd move one table for you, and then a couple of you would, like, jam together in the corner, you know, sometimes it'd be me and a guitar player and maybe a saxophone player, and, you know, if we were lucky, we'd get a place that would allow a drummer, and then, um, you know, or we'd find a place with a piano, you know, there'd be a restaurant, you know, where there'd be a restaurant gig, and you know, and, and then, you know, the gigs would start to get better and better. And, uh, you know, I got then um, gigs playing at like, uh, you know, hotels. So then I got gigs at, um, there, was, there was a while there where I had uh, two nights a week at the, um, the Waldorf Astoria, ah. two nights a week felt. And then another night at uh, at a friend's club that he had opened. He was a piano player, uh, singer, songwriter named David. He opened up his own club, and um, so I was playing five nights a week, uh, playing jazz. 
And that's and that when was, you quit. Um, is that when you quit your day job? Uh, so yeah, I mean, in a in a convoluted way, yeah. My my final day job was at this at a at a rehearsal studio. So after the Strand, I worked at a rehearsal studio called Michiko Rehearsal Studios, which is just off of Times Square. It's still there, although it's moved across the street from where it was when I worked there. And um, and I was actually fired from my last gig. Oh, whoa. I was the guy, yeah, I was the guy taking the, um, you know, like the appointments and, and then setting up the rooms and like setting up the sound system and cleaning the bathroom. And, and the truth is, my heart was not in it. And I was a lousy, um, I was a lousy uh, employee by that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I was very busy playing. And, um and I was getting sloppy with the um, with the bookkeeping and the you know I was not cleaning the bathroom and I was just you know right. and so finally with a heavy heart my boss um, you know told me that he thought it was time for me to go full time with music <laughs> and thank God he did that's a good thing yeah, that's a, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah so it all it all worked out fine it, it worked out you know I, and I've been back to see him and there are no hard feelings oh <laughs> oh that's so but, sweet well you know what yeah. it catapulted you to do exactly what you what you are doing you know so it's it's been quite some time since you've you know had that day job kind of thing so um yeah yeah and good for you I I also want to commend you so much um your performances always are so you're such a classy uh, not over the top but just know when to come in with the bass and you just play it so eloquently but what the other thing that i admire with you is your songwriting when did you start that process well so that sort of that story is kind of how i transitioned out of jazz ah um yeah, a friend laid a uh, Suzanne Vega record on me. Mm. Um, you know, in those you know mid '90s times, and when I when I was first in New York and playing jazz all the time, and um, and there was just something about those songs, that, like the way that she um, combined music and poetry. I just never heard anything like that before. Mm. You know, of course, I knew I knew Dylan, and I knew you know, um, and I always loved the Beatles, and you know, the various solo works of, of those guys, and like you know, I, I loved rock and roll, and and you know, I loved some, but there was just something about just the singular voice that she had, and just that really uh, was doing as an artist. I just never heard. I didn't know the possibilities of songs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kind of like that. It just hit me in this certain way. And it was like, it was an epiphany of sorts. And it, there, it was just like this, this voice inside of me said, you know, I want to do that. Mm. You know, I want to write songs. I want to like, wh- whatever that is, that magic, that weird magic that she's doing right there. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so, yeah, it, it started me, uh, on a path toward doing song music more and um, starting to play with singers and, and uh, playing at the, the original living room and, um, you know, with all those uh, great artists who came out of Chennai and, um, and then were the living room artists and, you know, um, and that whole world of the, uh, 
late 90s, early 2000s uh, singer-songwriter in New York scene that was mm-hmm. so fertile. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and through playing, you know, with singer is, is where I met all the... Um, the the Olabel folks. I was going to say that must have all tied in together with Olabel. That's right. Yeah, and uh, that's that's how that was born. And you know, a couple of the other guys, Tony uh, Leone and Glenn Pacha, were also jazz musicians yep. who found themselves just um, yeah, like really, really accomplished, far more accomplished than I, really, um, in jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they, um, you know. Um, but but they they felt a similar call to to come in and play uh you know to play song music you know like singing like vocal music and uh, and stuff that focused more on the the songwriting and and so we all you know found each other and and it just uh, it came about and it's a beautiful um, relationship because you guys are still friends and didn't you play a couple of years ago or something at Levon's or something didn't Ola Bell have a a couple of dates. We did, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you know, and I should say, actually, Fiona came out of jazz too. Ah, yeah, jazz singer. I did jazz gigs with Fiona before before Ola Bell. Wow. <laughs> because I also played in her singer songwriter band doing her songs, but we did jazz gigs too. Like she was a great jazz singer, man, still is. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we we uh, you know, Ola Bell never officially split up. Right. <laughs> we're uh, we're just on sort of a um, an unofficial hiatus. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, like we're always looking for opportunities to get back together again for another show. Right, right. Well, I, I hope that hope, hope that continues. Yeah, soon. yeah. I hope so too. Yeah, absolutely. And Joan Baez, you also performed with. Yeah. Speaking yeah, of right. another songwriting woman, wow. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And Mary Fall fun. too. Joan she, is cool. Oh my God! I bet. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah. yeah. And Mary yeah, Fall, another great songwriter. Oh my gosh, yeah, she's fantastic. And I got to do a lot of songwriting with Mary, mm-hmm. and she's really fun to write with. And uh, you know, she's 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 wonderful. I, I love Mary. Oh, <laughs> she seems I'd, like a uh, sweet person. I'd work with her again in a heartbeat. Aww. She's great. Oh, hear that, Mary? You better hurry up before he goes <laughs> out and tours the world again. Um, and then, of course, Peter Cole, um, Lost Leaders. You came, to, you were, know each other, what, at least 20 years, I think, right? Or close to it? Yeah, I think we met in 99. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that's it was 98 or 99. So, yeah, we've, like, yeah, <laughs> A long time now. <laughs> <laughs> the last century. Yeah. Ah, we've you know? had several bands, and he and I met playing jazz. Mm-hmm. You know, and he—he's another jazz refugee. I already was sort of—I was—I was transitioning out of being a jazz musician by the point that I met him. I was still playing jazz gigs, but you know, I knew that I was going down the songwriter route more. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, he and I were hanging out and. He was very interested in in the uh, the the song the singer songwriter scene and what I was doing and I played him some of my songs and he was like I want to do that let's mm-hmm. do that let's mm-hmm. make a band and uh, and so I'm kind of you know in part responsible for um, 
for for turning him <laughs> into, a, into again the, into a rocker. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And you guys, your latest release, I just love it. We just, I know you just performed at uh, at the Falcon a couple of weeks ago. You and Peter with Lost Leaders, of course. Um, Will Bryant joining you and Lee Falco as well. And uh, your yeah. last album, Promises, Promises. I play this a lot, and and I love oh, good. I love Thank the you. track. I will fulfill. Um, just so oh, much I'm fun. Glad. So much fun. So that's going to be on my list to play um, this afternoon. But beautiful music. Now, when we were at the Falcon, you you guys kind of teased us a little bit and said there's some new music coming out. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be putting out um, a series of singles um, that are uh, most likely going to be a, uh, a five song EP. Mm-hmm with a label that we just signed with called Amplify Entertainment. And um, we're, you know, really excited. It's nice to have a label. Absolutely. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, yeah, thank you. And uh, and so, yeah, so we're going to, I mean, very soon we'll be releasing the first single for that. Wow. Oh, that's so great. I wish that I could give it to you today to play. But, right. Um, no, but no. I have to hold off. Okay. But you'll get it when the, when 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 the release date comes. You'll you'll have it first. Absolutely, thank you. I appreciate that. We'll definitely love to play that on air here for sure. So that's very exciting. Good for you. I'm, I'm so happy for you. Um, do you have a name Thanks. for the release yet, or not yet, or nothing you can tell us yet? Um, uh, we have not decided on the name of the album yet. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, this but, last yeah. one was really cool. Promises, promises. Um, great, great. Really well done. Of course, produced by our friend David Barron. I'm a huge fan yeah. of the man. And Me too. Uh, Who isn't? Oh my gosh, yeah. you just can't say enough about him. His talent is off the charts. He's he's. It's I think true. we said it last time you and I spoke, and I may not have used the word since, but he truly is a musical genius. You know. And um, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, just over the top. So he produced um, this last one of yours as well. Um, so then, of course, we we have to uh, talk about you're the bassist for the Lumineers. And um, the story, you've told it probably, you know, a hundred times, if not more, but how that transpired with um, good old Simone, Simon Felice. Please tell us the story in case listeners have not heard how you became part of the you know, international band, the Lumineers. All right. Well, yeah, I had met uh, Simon um, or Simone, and he does go by by either, um, at uh, Drambles when, when Levon was playing. Um, Simon used to come by, and um, and he would sit on the radiator um, right behind Levon, and um, so focused on Levon, like his whole body was, was, um, uh, he was just, uh, embodying what Levon was doing. It's like he was, um, you know, osmosing it. Uh, <laughs> he would even like, I mean, he wouldn't air drum exactly along with Levon, but he would dance. <laughs> he would dance the drumming. It was intense. He was, and it was beautiful and he was so into it. Um, and, uh, and on such a deep soulful level, and there was always a point in the middle of, uh, I would step off stage and they would break it, break it down. Levon would, you know, get up and just with, um, you know, Larry and, uh, and Amy and Teresa and they, you know, he'd have his mandolin and they'd 
step off the stage and uh then you know um simon and i would chat and i you know we got to know each other a little bit during these uh these little you know mid-show chats Mm. and um and he kept telling me that he was going to call me for stuff and and so he at a certain point the calls did start to come um but they would always be last minute he would call me and i'd get this call and this happened several times he'd call me and say hey bye it's sigh what are you doing tomorrow and of course you know like anybody tomorrow right. i was i was always busy you know it's like you're like who who can just drop everything at a moment's notice you know right. it was very funny in fact one time he called me to ask me what I was doing tomorrow, and what he was doing tomorrow was his main stage set at Mountain Jam. Oh my goodness! Wow! Yeah, <laughs> like he's like Simon, you're calling me at the last. You're calling someone at the last minute to play your set tomorrow. Like it was just so fun. Oh gosh! You know, like I knew he was like a deeply soulful cat, but I also kind of thought like you know there was something there was, there was something very mysterious about the way that he was operating, you know, because he was so spontaneous with stuff. It just seemed crazy to me. And, uh, and so finally this one time he calls me, same thing. Hey, bye. It's sigh. What are you doing tomorrow? And as it happened, I was free. Mm. And I just had to know what Simon was going to have up his sleeve, you know? Right. And so it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm a free, I'm free, man. What, what do you have? And he said, uh, Great. I can't tell you what it is, <laughs> but just take the train, uh, earliest train you can get up to Ryancliff Station. I'll have someone there to pick you up and be at the clubhouse, and uh, and they'll fill you in when they pick you up. Wow! It's like uh, all right. And so this, of course, is just feeding the um, the, the the you know the man of mystery um, narrative that I was already assembling in my head for him. And so, like the whole train ride up, I'm like, "What is? What have I gotten myself into here?" Right. The uh, this kid picked me up, um, and I think it was Max Siegel. Actually, oh, really? Wow! Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. Picked me up, picked me up at the train, and thought it was so funny that I had no idea who I was. <laughs> the recording studio. Did he tell you and when so, you got in the car? So he wouldn't tell me. No, what? he thought it was too funny. So, oh so I walked into the control room of the clubhouse, having no idea who was sitting there. And, and I find Wesley Schultz and Jeremiah Freights. And, uh, and they're like, hi. And I'm like, well, hi. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you. Like, <laughs> holy shit. Hey, right. Like, wow. like uh, good on you, Simon. Like, uh, I never, ever would have guessed. Oh, um, my goodness. And so, yeah, it was really funny. Wow, wow. And, and uh, the rest yeah. is history. And what album was that for yeah. Cleopatra, right? That's right. That's yeah. right. That was for Cleopatra. And originally it was just to do one song to see how it felt. Right. And so we did that one song. And then they said, um, wow, that's great. Um, uh, there's another song. You want to play on that? And I was like, hell yeah, I'm here. Right. And so I played another one. And then they were like, um, they had a little conversation. They're like, we'd love for you to do the whole record if, you, if you're into it. Aww. I was like, uh, absolutely. And so that sort of began the whole thing. And you cleared your calendar for that after a little while. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, especially when they, then later, like, you know, we, we finished the album. And, you know, I just thought that they had me in there as a, you know, studio guy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, it was, it was like high fives all around. And I was like, good luck with the tour and all that. And like, uh, and I went on back to my, you know, back, back to my life. And, uh, and about a month later, I get a call, um, from Simon again. He's like, Hey, bye. The, um, the guys would love for you to do the, uh, the world tour with them. Oh, oh, I got <laughs> I like, oh, oh, okay. Wow. Uh, oh. wow. And I, I really had to think about that because I knew it would mean that I would have to leave the weight band, mm-hmm. which I had helped to found. Yeah. I had to leave, um, the, uh, Amy Helms band, yeah. which I had put together. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I would have to uh, leave poor Peter Cole sitting around waiting for me for months on end. Um, you know, I, like I knew it. I knew that, he, you know, we, I wouldn't have to quit Lost Leaders, but that Lost Leaders would, you know, suffer uh, a dearth of time right. after that. Um, so, uh, you know, it was it was kind of a big decision for me to weigh. Sure. You know. Absolutely. And, um, you know, but I decided that, I really wanted to see what it was like to, uh, to band that like had hits on the radio. Yeah. Like that's something I had never experienced before. And you know? stadium shows and too. What, do you remember the first eventually, show? Yeah. I mean, he, let me tell you the first show that we did for Cleopatra, the, the, um, the CD release party for Cleopatra was at Webster hall uh-huh. in New York. Yeah. In the small room downstairs. What? <laughs> That's right. Wow. That's right. Wow. And a year later, in one year, we, we, we did sold out shows at Madison Square Garden. Oh, my gosh. We started small. Wow. It was small. Wow. Yeah. And wow. it just grew and grew and grew that, that, that year. But, I mean, you know, yeah, we were not, we were not a, you know, an arena band at all. We were a small theater we were playing little clubs amazing amazing and now yeah. look at now it's like you know sells I out know, in an hour see. it's crazy crazy and you did stadium shows i mean you opened up for you too didn't you also yeah 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 yeah, yeah we did yeah which was amazing i mean that was school for us yeah because you know like we did our little part um and then we'd go out and we'd watch them and what they would do, and the the way that they moved energy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's amazing. Like, you know, there are you know, like them or not. Like, I happen to love you too. I always did. Yeah. But you know, there are a lot of people. You know, and you know, taste is uh, subjective. Absolutely, you know? may not be their cup of tea. But I would guarantee you that anybody who watched that stadium show would oh, see yeah. that the, the way that they. The way that they make a stadium sound and feel like a small club mm-hmm. is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's truly like they've got they've got some chops <laughs> there that are very hard to learn. Oh yeah, uh, they are so so damn good. So good. Uh, so good. They've and- got that dialed in. You know, and we were doing the Joshua Tree tour. Wow, yeah. Which is incredible. And, you know, I love that album. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after seeing several of their shows, because we would go out after our show and watch their entire set mm-hmm. um, every night. Yeah. And after seeing it for, like, you know, I don't know, a handful of handful of shows, um, you know, Peter Cole actually came out and visited me. Um, and, we, you know, we, we watched a couple of the shows at Soldier's Field. 
um, in uh, Chicago. Uh, in Chicago, and uh, we took a drive together um, down to Pittsburgh. You know, um, uh, along with the tour. You know, but I, I drove with with Peter instead of uh, riding in the uh, in the tour bus for that leg. This and we, uh, you know, on the drive, we decided to listen to uh, Joshua Tree, the album, after having heard you know you two do it mm-hmm. uh, two nights in a row, and man. It didn't sound as good as they, they as they were playing it live. live. Yeah, it yeah. sounded flat. Yeah, yeah. It was amazing. Yep, and it was shocking actually. Yeah, they feed I, I, off know. the audience. I've seen you two at Yankee Stadium. I think it was I don't know eighties, early nineties, or something like that. And they just feed off the audience, and that comes into yeah. their live performance. Their recordings are so, uh, like you say, oh, they're. They're okay. They're good, you know. But and you know that's a seminal album. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. is that it? Like, but, but they killed it. They, right. they, oh yeah, they wiped the floor with that album. Right. Yeah. Right. It's right. Amazing. Yeah. It was yeah. just shocking. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was school for us. It was. You know, it was like a master class. Like, watch that every night. Yeah. yeah. It was a master class. Yeah. 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 And uh, and I think we all resolved to uh, to figure out how to how to harness that energy. Right and to telegraph what we're doing uh, with that kind of intention, and to figure out how to clarify um, every part that everybody, every individual person was playing, to make as clear as possible. Because that was the thing, like honing in on 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 each of those guys, what they were doing was just so strong and so clear mm-hmm. that it made the whole thing um, extra powerful. Like yeah. it was not a blurry thing. Right. It was crystal. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, um, that definitely has informed uh, everything we've done since then. Wow. Wow. Yeah. What a wonderful opportunity just to travel and be able to see something like that and be on that stadium stage, you know, and just be like, yeah, I, was, I think it was you and tell me if I'm wrong, that you said you get more nervous playing a smaller club like the Falcon or something or Levon's absolutely than you do a absolutely. big stadium show. I think it was you, right? That was me for sure. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure other people have said it. Um, I, you know, it seems to be pretty universal for people that I've talked to who've, who've shared, you know, all those similar experiences the 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 bigger the crowd gets, it just sort of gets abstract after a mm-hmm. while. Yeah. But when you're, when it's really uh, intimate and you're eyeball to eyeball with people, that's hard. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. Yeah. The hardest sense. thing for me is a house concert. Honestly, mm-hmm. like when you're just sitting right in front of somebody, and you know you can hear them breathe. <laughs> it's just you and them, and you're playing your song. I mean, there's nowhere to hide. Right. It's just, uh, you know, it's excruciatingly scary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, get out in front of a stadium crowd. It's like, I don't know why, why it is, but uh, that, I guess because that intimacy has been diffused so much, um, it's just, oh, it's loads easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're getting some good practice doing the smaller shows, ready for the big stage again. And um, yeah. I know you have a couple of shows coming up this weekend, Dead On Live. 
And um, that's right. And then know. I think you've got a couple of dates beginning of December with the Lumineers before you go out on a European tour early of 2022. Is that all correct? That is all correct. Yeah. You are good. Yeah. You are good. And you Lumineers, really do your homework. I try. <laughs> Lumineers also has a new release out, so we should tell listeners, although I think most of their fans probably already know because they, they're pretty followed by their fans. And um, It's true, yeah. Yeah. And, and tell us about the recording of Brightside, which, of course, you were part of. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It was fun. And, you know, it was... It was odd because it was, you know, recorded during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so during the recording process, we, uh, you know, there was a lot of testing and, I, you know, uh, quarantining, mm-hmm. uh, isolation. Yeah. Um, we created a little pod that we very scrupulously maintained to the point to where, you know, we weren't, we couldn't go sh- food shopping for mm-hmm. ourselves. Mm-hmm. We would have food delivered to us wherever, you know, in, in the little um, Airbnbs or where we were staying. Yeah. Um, no visitors, no, you know, no walking into stores, no, I mean... No socialization. constantly. Other, yeah. No. Yeah. And, uh, but, you know, nobody got sick. Yeah. Yeah. Like and, it worked. Right, and it and, worked. Uh, and, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Wow. And, uh, and that record got made. And, I, you know, in some ways, I think that, you can feel the pent up energy that we were all that we all had coming out of those tracks. Like um, we were so happy to like be together in the studio in those times that we were actually in the studio, like all together. It just felt so good. It was like a release, right? And so you know that energy really got on tape. I think, yeah. And, oh. um, you know, it's such a strange time. I think there's going to be a lot of great music that came out of this, you know. Byron, uh, there there are people kinds, yeah. sending me new music almost every week. I am mm-hmm. amazed at the caliber of talent that's coming out. And really, people, I think, went yeah. one way or the other during the quarantine. They either could not be creative or they went completely the other way and just all this new work is coming out, you know? So, yeah. yeah so it's, it's great. And um, I, I just have a few minutes left, so I'm going to leave with a track. We haven't even covered like leave on or anything like that. So come back when lost leaders, will, when you guys release um, the new lost leaders, you know, come back and, and let's talk some more because there's, we've just, you know, only touched the surface here. We haven't even dug deeper. So um, next time we'll do it. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And um, Byron, you know, it's, it's, I was telling Jessica the other day, um, you two deserve everything in the world, all the good stuff. And, and you guys have worked so hard and no one appreciates getting good stuff until you've had nothing and you've been in that place. So you appreciate everything and these tours and just to see you on stages and so happy and your photographs. And I, I could not be happier for you. And I say that from thank hundreds you. of people behind me saying the same thing that, Oh, thank you for that. Rita. Yeah, That's so sweet. Yeah. Well, listen, we, you, you, you deserve it all and enjoy the tour. Stay safe. And, um, We'll be in touch. I know I'll see you soon. And um, really, thank you for your time here today. It's It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor having you back. And I want to go out with, I will fulfill. 
All right. All right. So, Byron, I'll catch you soon. Thank you for your time, and next time we'll get into some more stuff. All right. I look forward to it. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Byron. You too. Thank you. Bye-bye. 91.3 91.3 WVKR, Independent Radio, Poughkeepsie, New York. Byron Isaacs from Lumineers, Lost Leaders, Levon Helm, all kinds of amazing projects. If you missed part or all of that interview, everything will be uploaded this evening on YouTube as well as wherever you do your streaming. Just look for Local Motion. My guest next week will be the legendary John Sebastian. Don't want to miss that. Want to leave you now with a track off Lost Leaders, which of course features Byron Isaacs and Peter Cole. This is their latest release, Promises, Promises. Really look forward to the new music coming out by them. And this is a song written by Byron Isaacs. It's called I Will Fulfill. I'll catch you guys all next week. Stay tuned. And until next time, I wish you all peace.